Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. All right, thanks for such the warm welcome, Matt. Um, Like you said, my name's Ben. I'm the youth intern here, and I just want to address the elephant in the room. Nobody wants to be the intern. Nobody does. I was in your seat, believe it or not, a few years ago, and whenever I would hear about interns, I would be like, poor guy, that sucks. (laughs) But ever since being an intern, I've come across a secret. It's actually great. You can get away with almost anything. For example, if someone got me to paint a wall in this church, which would be a very bad idea, by the way, but if someone got me to paint a wall, and I was painting this wall, and all of a sudden I spilled the paint everywhere, Someone comes by and they're like, Ben, what happened? You just spilled all this paint on the floor. And I would be, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, guys, but it's okay. I'm an intern. Oh, I see, I see. So who got you to do this? And then I would just graciously point them to Matt's office. And he would <laughs> deal with the aftermath, I guess. But anyways, I'm really excited to be here. Um, it's both exciting and terrifying to speak in front of you. Um, but there's a lot of ground to cover, as we saw by the reading, so I'm going to jump right into it. Uh, so it starts with the narrative of Jesus preaching. So it says he's preaching by the shore, and as he's preaching, uh, more and more people start showing up. And so much so that it got to the point that he actually hopped into a boat. And this is because there's so many people there that they couldn't hear him anymore. So he hopped into a boat to use the water as a kind of like water microphone, because they didn't have any of these things back in the day. And uh, this is just really showing the popularity and the amount of people that were coming to listen to his parables. And as he was teaching in parables, this brought a question into my mind. Why does he teach in parables anyways? Like, why couldn't Jesus just have, like, a three-point PowerPoint or whatever, just saying, here's what I want to teach you, one, two, three, wham, bam, and done? Why does he have to make it confusing? Well, there's actually several reasons as I was looking into this. Um, So parables, parables are fictional stories used to illustrate something real. So he uses parables because parables are stories. They're easy to remember. They're easy to think about. And as people remember these stories and they think about them, They have to engage their critical thinking to kind of find the truth because parables have truth layered in them. So as people are thinking about these stories, remembering them, and as they're talking about them, reciting them, kind of dwelling on them, this allows them to come up with a conclusion by themselves. And once they come up with that answer by themselves, since they've spent so much time processing it and coming up with it on their own, it's just more ingrained in their memory and it helps them think about it so much more effectively because they put in the work and effort. And since parables are stories with truth in them, we need to be the ones to do the work to find that truth. So first we'll take a look at the parable of the sower. It says, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So Jesus is using a farming analogy because in the ancient Near Eastern days, a lot of people farmed. And therefore they would understand the story really easy. So what farmers did is they didn't have tractors, so they would walk out and they would sow seed by hands. They would scatter the seeds on all kinds of ground, it says in the passage. They named four kinds of soil, and we're going to get to that later. But I just want to focus that they scattered it on all kinds of ground all day long, 
and it says it came up and grew and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. Now, I'm no math whiz, and my family can attest to that, but I'm pretty sure that 100 is the biggest number. Okay, I'm glad you agree. I wasn't sure. I just wanted to make sure. But 100 is the biggest number. That means it's the best. If you're a farmer, <laughs> if you're... Thank you, Trish. If you're a farmer, the bigger the harvest, the better the harvest, the more food you get. So is this passage saying that Jesus wants me to work harder, to work more, to produce the absolute best results I can? If Rob yields a crop multiplying 100, and I only get one multiplying 30, does that mean that I suck at farming? He's obviously a better farmer than me, so isn't he more successful than I am? And this line of thought around success is common within our culture. You see, our culture idolizes and believes that success comes from results. We are told that we have to work more, to work a ton, to have meaning and valuable lives. They say the more you work, the more you contribute to society, the more valuable you are. It says we need to work as much as we can to make as much money as we can. And by the time we retire, whoever has the more money, the more wealth, the more possessions, the more uh, financial stability, you called it, that's the same as money, I guess, the more successful you are. And I see this a lot with celebrities. Uh, have you guys heard of Dwayne Johnson? He's that man on the screen. He is a big man. Like his bicep is like as big as my entire thigh. He's just... A big man. But anyways, he's currently the highest paid actor in the world at the moment. He's constantly doing interviews. He's promoting and developing products with several companies. And to maintain uh, just his enormous amount of muscle mass, he works out every single day. And he's constantly preaching his motto, hardest worker in the room. He's always busy. He has a million things of the go. And he's getting good results. He sells a lot of stuff, sells a lot of movies. People watch his stuff. And according to society, this is what true success looks like. Our society preaches results equal success. And even if you're not a celebrity, I think, for myself at least, I've lived into this narrative as well. I'm a broke college kid. Uh, so for the past while, I've been writing a lot of papers. And I remember as I was writing papers, I'd be like, okay, once I get a B plus, I'll be successful. Once I get an A minus, I'll be successful. Once I get an A, I'll be successful. Or once I land that sweet summer job so that I make a lot of money over the summer so I don't have to take out as many loans, I'll be successful. Now, I'm not a parent, but I see a lot of you have, um, well, some of you have had tiny humans with them, so I'm assuming you guys are. And uh, so maybe you guys have thought, just maybe, once we've raised our kids well, once we get that promotion at work, or once we move into a larger house, then we'll be successful. This narrative is one that values our successes based off our results, material possessions, or accomplishments. But what if I told you that God's vision of success is different than our own? Look at Jesus. Okay, let's look at Jesus, for example. Just looking what happened to him here on earth, if we were looking at him from a lens of our success-based culture, then by every definition, Jesus was a failure. 
Here, these people saw this guy claim to be the son of God, claiming to be uh, a king, only to be poor, have no army, only have 12 disciples, all of them deserting him in the end. And then he ends up dying in the most painful and humiliating way possible, a crucifixion. So looking at this with the lens of our success-based standards, our human standards, he failed. Now, he wasn't a failure by any means, because he was successful by God's vision of success, not ours. See, the difference is, our world's idea of success lies in our power, whereas God's vision lies in his. And guess what? God is not expecting us to be successful. He's asking us to do what Jesus demonstrated again and again and again here on earth to be faithful. Jesus was faithful to God. He followed God's will to a T, never straying from the path he was walking on, resisting temptation from Satan himself, and then ultimately dying for the very people who wanted him dead. Now, Jesus wasn't looking forward to any of this. He wasn't looking forward to be crucified, but he was faithful even when he didn't want to be. And this is a big idea of what I'm trying to tell you today, We are called to be faithful, not successful. Success is God's responsibility. In the parable of the growing seed, it says, Night and day, whether the farmer sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. So in this, the growth of the seed is ultimately God's responsibility. The farmer plants the seed, lets it alone, does nothing, and then the seed grows by itself. So in these parables, God is a sower and sows a seed. And the seed is symbolic for his word onto the soil. So in this parable, what do you think are? If God's spreading the word onto the soil, what do you think we are in this parable? We're the soil. I was talking with Matt about some of this stuff because I have no idea what's going on 95% of the time, and uh, maybe 96 on a good bad day, I guess. And he said that we aren't in control of how the sun shines or how the rain falls. We're only in control of planting the seed and cultivating our soil. So going back to the yields in the parable of the sower, if God is the one responsible for results, then why does it matter if Rob reached 100 and I only got 30? New Testament scholar named Robert McIver said in the ancient Near Eastern times, a good yield was considered to be a yield of four. So that was a good yield. A yield of 10 was insane. That's what you wanted. But a yield of even 30? That wasn't just amazing, but that was miraculous. That was a miracle. And this shows that these results of God's, you know, they're God's results, they're not ours, and they're miraculous. Either way, whether it's 30 or 100, so what does it matter if one is more miraculous than the other? This is showing that the success because of results narrative is not the way of God's kingdom. The kingdom goes against our cultural narrative head-on by showing that we are not defined by our success because we aren't in control of it. We are called to be faithful, not successful. So what does faithfulness look like? Well, as I said before, uh, I've had the privilege of working with the youth ministry for the past semester. And during it, we were talking through Exodus 34. If you haven't read it, you should, because it's amazing. Um... And we were doing this because this is the first time that God 
describes himself instead of having someone else describe him. And in Exodus 34, God names off his characteristics. And one of them he names off is he is the God of faithfulness. Now, when I first heard of faithfulness, I thought it meant to put your faith in something or to trust in something. And that's not inherently wrong, but in the context of how God is describing himself, it's not right either. See, the Hebrew word for faithfulness is emet. And emet means trustworthy, reliability, dependability. So God is saying he's the God of trustworthiness, the God of reliability, and the God of dependability. And this is evident through Jesus coming on the cross and dying for us. He was faithful to us, even when we didn't deserve it, and even when we turned our backs on him. A lot of papers here. So just as God is faithful to us, we need to be faithful to him. And to do that, we need to spread the seed of God's word and to cultivate faithfulness in the soil of our lives. So to be faithful, we have two things we have to do. And the first is to be faithful, we have to sow the seed. But Ben, how can we sow the seed if we're just soil? Good question, Ben. Let's look at spreading the seed first. I have good news for you. We are called to be more than just soil. In Ephesians 5, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. To be faithful, we get to be sowers, and to be sowers, we have to sow the seed. This means we have the opportunity to spread the gospel, to spread the good news to everyone and everywhere, no matter the type of soil, no matter who they are. This means that we're called to spread the good news to all people. And how do we do this? Well, let's look at the parable. It says a farmer needs to throw seeds on all of their soil. They just don't pick and choose the best spots. They throw it on everything. If they limit it to only certain spots, they would be drastically reducing the potential yield and harvest that they could be reaping. The more people who hear the good news, the more people that God can work in. God's kingdom is a kingdom of abundance, and he abundantly sows the seed, and he's asking us to do the same. However, sometimes we can run into the temptation of picking and choosing of who or what we spread the gospel to. And believe me, I have been guilty of this time and time again. There's been lots of times where people have asked me about Jesus and, you know, they're like, why are you into the whole Jesus thing? Or why are you so into church? And as I've been sharing with them, I've been guilty of going through my mind picking, okay, this part of the gospel sounds really good. Everybody loves this part. This is a great part. But then there's other parts that are eh, a little more, um, you know, not so fun to share, a little more that brings up a little more controversy. And maybe I should hold off on those parts a little bit until they're, you know, a little more comfortable with the Jesus thing, and then we can kind of ease our way into it. But that's not the way it goes. As a parable of the lampstand in verse 21 teaches, it says, For whatever is hidden is meant to be disclosed, and whatever is concealed is meant to be brought out into the open. Whatever God reveals to us and whatever we learn, we have to share with others. We get to share with others. Our faith is not an entirely individual experience. We have to be intentional to go about and to share it with everybody. Our friends, our neighbors, and our enemies. And as apprentices of Jesus, we get to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus does. 
And just as he shows kindness and compassion, we too are invited to show kindness and compassion towards our neighbors and share about our experiences with him. So just like the farmer, we get to participate in the work, but just like the farmer, we're not in control of what the work produces. So that's the first way. The second way to be faithful to God is to cultivate the conditions of our soul to allow God to grow the best through us. In other words, take care of our souls. And to do that, we have to address their condition and identify the different states that they can be in. So the parable of the sower uh, talked about the different soils that I mentioned before. These soils actually represent the different postures of our hearts, the different states that our hearts might be in during that season. They represent how our hearts are sitting and feeling at the moment, and just like the soil, our hearts can change depending on the season. But just like the soil, they can be molded, shaped, and softened if we work on them to allow seed to grow. So let's look at the verse first. It says, As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. So this is the first posture of the heart, the path. And the soil is dry and tough, and it's packed down after years of walking on it. So this represents a heart that is just tough, dry, bitter, angry. And it makes it really difficult for any seed to take root and grow in our lives. It makes it really tough for God to uh, get into our heart and, and just work in there. So that's the first posture. The next posture says, Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. So this is a rocky soil, and this posture allows for people to hear about God. They get super stoked, super excited about God. But then as soon as any kind of difficulty arises, as soon as the feelings wear off, they fall away. They're like, this is too much work. I don't want to do this. And this happens because there's no roots in this heart. This describes a posture where people don't seek a deeper relationship with Christ. Moving on, it says, Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants, so they did not bear grain. So this is the thorny soil, and this is a soil that has too many things cluttering it. This is the one that I've struggled with in my life personally a lot. There's just too many distractions on the go. One of the things I was excited about going into ministry is I was like, man, look at that. I just get to spend time with Jesus even as I'm doing homework. This is awesome. But that's not the way it works. Even as I was studying about Jesus in the Bible, I was putting so many hours into papers, into research, uh, spending a lot of time with friends, um, video games. Uh, I would forget about Jesus. Even though most of my time was spent studying about him. And unfortunately, it's super easy to get lost in the day-to-day -day activities and kind of keep Jesus in a box until we need him. And this stops any potential growth and harvest within our lives. But the last verse says, Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up, grew, and produced a crop, some multiplying 30, some 60, some 100 times. And this is the best one. This is a good soil. This is a soil that we are to strive for because these people who have this heart follow God's will not out of fear, but out of love for him. 
They give all their needs, all their praises, all their worries, all their fears, all of their concerns to God and are in continual prayer throughout their lives. This is a posture that we aim for, and this is because this is the one that leads us to the fullness of life that Jesus wants us to have. And this is the one that God can achieve miraculous results through us because of his power, not ours. I found a great quote from a blog posted by um, Dayton Church, which says, The condition of the soil determines the final harvest. And the condition of our hearts determines whether the seed of God's grace takes root in our lives and produces the fruit of his kingdom. Now, I'm not telling you any of these postures to shame you or to try and categorize you. I've been each one of these soils from one time to another, and I will continue to be one of these soils, switching back and forth until the day I die. That's just part of being human. Some days I'm like, oh yeah, I'm riding a spiritual high. I feel, I feel great. And then other days I'm like, I'm just really not feeling Jesus today. Not a single person's soul stays for one condition for their whole life. And although the posture of our hearts may change from season to season, from day to day, from month to month, or even from year to year, God's doesn't. God was the same yesterday, he's the same today, and he will be the same tomorrow. And this means that his faithfulness is unchanging, and he was always faithful, and always will be there for us, even when it doesn't feel like it. So I want to talk about a time where I felt like I was anything but successful, and where it seemed like God was anything but faithful, and where I was in a season where the posture of my heart and my soul were hurting. So, like Matt said, and I've probably said a few times, I've been at Ambrose for the past four years taking a ministry degree so I can uh, hopefully be in pastoral ministry someday. And for the first three years of my degree, I felt so strongly called to ministry, like no doubt about it in my mind. I was just, I was dead set. I was like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm called to do. This is what I'm going to do. You can't change my mind. So then during my fourth year, which was last year, I'm in my fifth year now, I got hired on as an RA. And an RA is a residence assistant. Uh, and I was super excited because this had a lot of carryover into ministry. I was like, great, I get to lead a floor, I get to kind of speak in public at meetings, I get to plan events, um, I get to care for the people on my floor, this is going to be great, this is totally going to affirm my calling to ministry, I'm going to find out my strengths, my weaknesses, my passions, this is awesome. And it did none of that. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, feel free to laugh. It's kind of funny now that I think about it. <laughs> and it's important to note that I was leading during COVID. See, I got hired on in January, and two months later, COVID broke out. Um, so I was given a lot more different tasks uh, than I was expecting the main job of an RA is to foster a community. You create events, you get people involved, you get people engaged. So I was still expected to do that. But at the same time, since COVID's a thing, I was also expected to enforce a bunch of COVID rules. So when I would see people hanging out together, being engaged, if it didn't follow the rules, I was the guy to shut it down. And it was a really weird yeah, it's thanks. <laughs> I don't know what you're laughing at. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, and it was a really weird uh, 
kind of balancing act because it made me feel ineffective on both sides. Because I had a difficult time getting people engaged with events because the events had to be, they weren't as they were previous years. So not a lot of people wanted to be as engaged. And people just weren't connecting as much as they had. But then I also felt ineffective because the people I wanted to connect with, there's a lot of people I wanted to connect with, and these were the people that were being upset with me because I was the one telling them not to do things. So this was a really tough season. And during this season is when Matt called me asking if I wanted to do my internship here, which I was really excited for, uh, really stoked for, but at the same time I was really anxious for because I thought, if I'm failing here, what if I fail there? I don't feel successful as an RA, so how am I going to be successful being an intern? So I prayed saying, God, I don't know if you want me in ministry, but I'm going to finish my degree, going to go on this internship either way. Don't know if I'm going to be good at it, but I'm going to do it, and we'll see what happens. So I stuck with it, um, obviously, because I'm here right now, and <laughs> I tried to be faithful to my promise. And let me tell you, God has blessed me in more ways than I can imagine. I'm not saying I'm more successful here than I was in an RA, but I can assure you that here I'm filled with energy, I'm filled with joy, and I'm filled just with gratitude for just being here and being part of such an amazing community of SPAC. And I realized that God was teaching me something through this difficult experience. He wasn't calling me to be the best RA, to be the most likable RA, or the most successful RA. He was calling me to be a faithful one. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up, but uh, I know that God used this difficult experience for good. He was teaching me to be faithful, even when I didn't feel like it. And he was showing me that my worth was not based on my success or my performance. He was training me to keep trusting in him, even when it seemed like he wasn't there or didn't care. So even though I couldn't see God working throughout last year, the seeds that he planted, the seeds that he planted throughout that year and from previous years before, were growing in ways that I couldn't see. And just as God is faithful to us, we have to remain faithful to him by spreading the seed, and by taking care of ourselves. These parables are teaching, are highlighting that we can't control results or success. We can only participate and act out of faithfulness. And the good news of the kingdom is that God is not evaluating our performance or comparing us to other people. He's excited when we participate in kingdom work by going out and showing kindness and compassion towards others and towards ourselves. This is the way of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, and to do what Jesus does. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.